Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan. Today on the show, I'm joined by Louise Bruton, who runs the website legolessindublin.com, a guide to navigating Dublin and other places, whether you use a wheelchair or not. Uh, we talked a lot about accessibility at music venues and festivals and myriad issues around that topic. And we also discussed a post she wrote last week on Legless in Dublin, which was called Don't Good Girl Me. Uh, you should definitely go and read it. Uh, it starts, Lately, I've noticed an increase in people rushing to my side to help me. Because I'm in a wheelchair, people immediately assume that I am struggling with something. But the only thing I'm struggling with is where do people get off on assuming something about a total stranger? I interviewed Louise in Dublin last week after I'd attended the Web Summit from Tuesday to Thursday. Uh, more about that after my chat with Louise, which is coming up now. Uh, you should know it took place in a, an increasingly noisy pub in Dublin. So apologies for the backing track that includes the likes of uh, Mumford and & Sons and Goo Goo Dolls and probably one or two tracks which are worse than those. Uh, but here's Louise first talking about the post that she wrote last week. So this guy tweeted uh, yesterday that he was on the number 16 bus to Santry and the bus driver assisted a passenger who was blind from the bus to his front door and when the bus driver returned, the everyone on the bus uh, just started applauding the bus driver which I thought was so, so great that the Goo Goo Dolls are playing in the background now as I tell this story. Um, I just thought that that was so strange because it was a lovely, kind gesture that the bus driver did but suddenly this kind of cheesy eruption of treating the bus driver like a hero for doing something that any decent person would probably do if the person, if the, the passenger who was blind had asked for help, first of all. Um, I just think that there's this really strange thing that's evolved online and through Twitter where we're constantly congratulating ourselves for doing nice things like I saw this Facebook page there a while ago and I think it I can't remember the exact name but it was like English boys that get drunk and do ordinary things and think it's amazing so it's like um, oh my god look at Matt he's mopping the floor isn't he so funny while he's drunk while he's drunk yeah so it's just like oh he's such a legend he's he's just gone for a nap <laughs> so like we're like documenting all these things that we just do anyway and suddenly it's like oh, we can make this go viral and it's hilarious, but it's really basic and ridiculous. But um, that's a whole other discussion for another day. <laughs> but um, I just kind of think, like with that tweet that went out yesterday about the number 16 bus, like we're constantly thinking in sort of a weird BuzzFeed Twitter way where it's like, you won't believe what happened next when so-and-so helped so-and-so. And when you're doing that, especially with people with disabilities, you're making them, you're objectifying them in a way to make other people feel good, which I hate, like I really hate, um, because I would be mortified if that was me on the receiving end of um, assistance from a bus driver. Like, people clapping for a bus driver for just like helping someone out with something is ridiculous and it's really patronizing. And I just don't think people realize that. And like a lot of the comments that I saw underneath the articles, like it's been reported on a lot of websites, where they're like, oh, we need more stories like this. And it's like, why don't you go out and do nice things instead of having to read about other people doing it? Like, get off your ass yeah. and do something. Um, people do talk about like, why can't there be more good news in the world? Because it's like, it's not actual news. I mean, like, what was a bus driver supposed to do? Surely it'd be more newsworthy if you like, flipped off the blood or you know did something like that and just drove away 
Yeah, like it's not news. Like <laughs> it's kind of like you won't believe that this Tesco worker helped uh, someone bring their bags out to a car. Like that's just stuff that people do every day, and people are just trying to sensationalize it and make it make them like a hero or a good Samaritan. When I don't know, I just don't know why we need to uh, give people gold medals for just being nice people or um, use the fact that someone needs help with something as a way to make you feel kind of warm inside. It's just, it's a really strange dynamic and it really makes me feel so uneasy. Yeah, like, I mean, I was, I, I saw the story through your Twitter feed and um, I don't know what my reaction would have been if I actually saw the story first, you know, like the, the uh, crowd on the bus applaud the bus driver for doing this. I probably think, okay, you know, but whereas from your perspective, were you like straight away just, oh, fuck's sake. Yeah, like, and it was just the applauding bit that really got me. Like, I think you you applaud when, say, someone randomly proposes to someone on the street. Like, I've never seen that happen, but, like, I'm sure... You, you definitely applaud if it did. <laughs> I think I would. I think I'd give them a round of applause for that. Or, so, you applaud when someone drops a drink in a bar. Like, that's, that's what... The, they're the random applauses that you give out. But... Like, imagine you were help- I was helping someone across the street and then everyone stopped to give a round of applause, like the slow clap erupting, like at the end of Cool Runnings or something. Like, it's just so tacky. And, yeah. and I don't... And I wonder... Like, say the guy who was just helped off the bus, could he hear them then applauding? It's like, oh, like... They were applauding the fact, in a way, this is a real long way about it, that society doesn't actually look after the people that need to be looked after in that sense so the fact that you're applauding someone realizing that like this the bus driver realizing that this guy needs help and whatever say whatever for whatever reason he needed to help him out people are applauding that instead of kind of like maybe we need to change society a little bit <laughs> like it's just it's just a really weird circle yeah. Yeah. so you you wrote um a post about it on your website like listen dublin uh called uh don't good girl me um, which was really powerful. Like I was reading it, and I was like, "Who? I would be so angry in that situation." Yeah, like it just it brought up because like the last couple of weeks, I've just had like loads of people coming to pr- approaching me and swooping in to help me out with things that I don't need help with at all. Um, like say, like yesterday, this this is what kind of like spurred it all on. Um, I was just taking my dog for a walk, which is something I do every day, and. I don't need any assistance with help with walking the dog but um, he just stopped to sniff a pole he was going to the toilet or whatever and the next thing I just kind of felt this jolt behind me and this guy had grabbed my wheelchair from behind and I'd had my earphones in so I didn't hear anyone approaching me and um, he just like threw his head in front of me and he's like you want you want help? and I was like no I don't I don't want help please stop um, and then he was like oh, no I'll help you I'll push you and I was like no stop please don't and it was just like to come at someone from behind first of all awful Um but you can't just assume that someone needs help by because you've created this idea in your head of what people like disabled people are like because no two disabled people are the same and you can't assume that everyone needs the same level of care or help if they need it at all like it's just a really i don't know i think a lot of people like to play the hero and they like to swoop in and do something good to make them feel good about themselves rather than a, a, like look at a situation and see what's actually happening like he just saw a wheelchair he didn't see anything else going on in the picture he didn't see that I was stopping to let my dog go to the toilet so it was just really um, I just felt it was so invasive like that's 
like that's the big word that I can use. It was just so invasive and I felt so small after it happened. Yeah, um, like it sounds like it's not the first time either that it happens. That it's kind of like a recurring thing where people just kind of swoop in and they're like, "I'll help you. It's it's fine." Yeah, like I like it's normally when I'm kind of it's normally when I'm on my, on my own as well. So that makes it you feel a little bit more, I don't know, isolated or a little bit more vulnerable in that situation when it happens. And um, like it's a lot of the time, say when I'm walking home from town or. Um, like just on my own and someone will come up to you and like are you okay when there's nothing happening like I might like I could just be waiting at like the traffic lights and they're like are you okay do you want help and I was like no I'm p perfectly fine like and like you just and I'm o I always have my headphones in as well so they kind of go out of their way to tap me on the shoulder to make me take my headphones out so I'm just like oh no really you don't have to go to all that trouble um, but yeah it, it makes me kind of evaluate myself and how I'm being perceived. So you just kind of wonder, do I look like, like I'm struggling? Do I look, do I look like I'm in trouble? Do I look weak or do it? And these are all, these are the things that go through my head every time someone comes up to me. And it's a horrible self um, evaluation that I'm giving myself almost on a daily basis because someone else has this idea of disability and they're imposing it on me. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like, you know, just that question, are you okay, is probably something that we should talk about. You know, everyone should ask anyone anyway, like men mental health-wise, rather than like, uh, you know, just this person who looks like, I, I don't know, like, that, they look, that they're fine. Yeah, like, that's a pretty good point. Like, Rose kind of looking for these, like, feel-good things that, I don't know, like, that, that like, it drives me nuts. Like, all these, these kind of, like, feel-good kind of, like, Facebook statuses or tweets. And then it's like, have you turned around to the person beside you and actually asked how their day was? Because we're all like so quick to put things online and we don't actually speak to each other properly really anymore to ask how we all are or if like if we need a hand with something or if um, we're going through a good phase or a bad phase. Like it's just really, I don't know, we're kind of, we're all kind of quick to talk about these things online, but like a lot of people just aren't turning around to the person beside them and going, hey, buddy. <laughs> um, it seems like if someone was actually like in need of help, they would kind of do like an olive oil type thing, you know, and just throw their hands up in the air and go, help me, help me, rather than like just expect someone to, to know. Yeah, like, yeah, that is another thing as well. Like, I know with myself, I have to make it clear to some people when I do or don't need help in a physical sense. Um, and that's kind of fine. And then again, when it comes to things like mental health and that, that, that's a harder thing for someone to even say and maybe even more difficult to read. So it's like, what are those things in general? Like when you need help in any shape or form, you have to learn how to kind of verbalize that properly. But also when someone is telling you what they do or don't need, it's really important to actually listen to what they're saying and translate it properly and not just um, come up with your own kind of help your self-help situation yeah, there yeah. like when you tell the people oh I don't need any help like are they taken aback by it they don't believe me at first so they're like you sure and I'm like you yeah, know like it, this always happens um, when I'm loading my wheelchair into my car so it's like it's really simple to load my wheelchair into the car I just take off the wheels fold the wheelchair and then I lift it into the passenger seat like it takes 30 seconds like a really quick thing to do um, so people will see me when I'm doing that and they're like do you want to handle that and I'm like no no I'm fine thanks I have a system and they're like are you sure are you sure like as if I'm like fooling myself or like just trying to make their day easier and um, and then I can always see them as they're walking 
walking on, they kind of look back to to try and catch me out almost, or just to really uh, see if I'm telling the truth. So it's just a really, um, I don't know, people are just so easily astonished that someone in my situation can be doing something like drive a car. Like it's just, you're constantly proving yourself to strangers and they're the last people you should be proving anything to. It seems like it's kind of the idea of being condescended to constantly and that strikes me as something that would be absolutely horrendous. Yeah, like it, um, there's, I'm kind of writing on an article on, on, at the moment where it's, it's just about disability in general and it's how when people constantly refer to your disability it's like everything else you've ever achieved just means nothing so say if I'm like on a night out and someone's like oh my god you're in a wheelchair that's amazing it's like as if I've got no personality no brains I've kind of haven't achieved anything in my life like it's all just white noise if you get me so people only see one thing but they don't see all these other wonderful qualities that you might have or even if you're an asshole like that might just be totally brushed under under the rug um like it's a really strange complex that you can have when you do have a disability where and i know it's i write about my disability a lot but i try not to be defined by it because everyone has so much more to offer than like imagine you're an accountant and that was the only thing people knew about you and that's the only thing they wanted to know about you like that's kind of what it is in a way when total strangers are always just seeing one thing and running with it do you want to talk a little bit about your website, Legless in Dublin? It started um, 2013? Yep. When did it start? Yeah. Maybe it started a year ago. Yeah, what, 2014. What made you uh, want to start one, I guess? Um, well, Legless in Dublin reviews just venues in terms of access, kind of like all sorts of venues, like restaurants, cafes and that. And um, I started it because I was sick of being the one to organise everything. But because I'm in a wheelchair, I have to pick the venue every single time there's like a dinner or a night out or someone's birthday. And I was really sick of being the one to have to think of that. So I realized, because there's not that much information online about that, like a lot of places don't seem to say on their website whether or not they're wheelchair accessible or what other access facilities they have. So I decided to kind of gather all this information, put up online so that my friends would stop asking me to arrange everything. And then other people in my situation would have that same kind of liberation as well they don't have to be the party planners forever and always so so like are you on a night out now and you're constantly like looking around saying well no you know minus one sort of thing um yeah i bring a measuring tape out every night to measure like wheelchair bathrooms yeah so um yeah so i'll be measuring like the bathroom here and like just taking different notes um but since i've started doing it all my friends and family have said that's now how they think so when they walk into a bar, a bar first, they kind of look around and they're like taking note if there's like room to get from the door to the bar or if there's steps or what kind of floor surface it is. Like once it's brought to your attention, it stays with you. Um, so that's that's hopefully something that I'm drilling into people's heads the more I write about it. And um, like, have you, I mean, I, pre- I presume that you've given like some scathing reviews to some bars and stuff and like, have they challenged you on it? Um, I haven't really given scathing reviews because I just don't think there's any point in um, like what use is it to someone with a disability to know that there's another crap place that won't let them in like I try to focus a bit more on the positive sense of things but a lot of the time when it comes to crap access in a, in a place it's because of building regulations and they're really difficult to get around 
like if you want to um, apply for a disability access cert, that's kind of the same as like a health and a safety cert. It's something that all new buildings have to have. But if you own a business and you're renovating and you want to have a disability access cert, it costs something like 700 to 800 euro to apply every time. And your application can be rejected as many times as you want. So like it is, it can be an incredibly difficult thing to make a place accessible. Um, but the, there are a lot of places that could be doing a lot more yeah. as well. They, they could just be trying a little bit more, whereas I guess like so many people see it probably as a statistic, you know, just kind of, um, I think that I've seen you write about this, that usually it's just, you know, wheelchair accessible, yes or no, and there's no actual details. So it's basically you wanted to expand on that, I guess. Um, yeah, because I know like a lot of um, just review sites in general are all kind of community-based reviews. So say someone walked into a bar and they're like, oh yeah, it's all flat, it's wheelchair accessible. But then they didn't take into account that like the, uh, the bathrooms are down in a basement or like th th a lot of things just kind of escape people's view. Um, so like a simple yes or no just really isn't enough for a lot of people. Um, say especially if because I used crutches for like 23 years and walking with crutches is incredibly difficult because um, you not only have to deal with like stairs and that but like say if you're in a bar um, the floor surface is so important because if a drink spills you have to know how slippy the floor becomes when it's wet because um, you can go flying like that's that was my biggest fear when I was on crutches just falling on a wet floor um, so there's just so many different levels of access that people need to take into consideration and I'm trying to learn a lot more about how um, people with kind of visual and hearing impairments um, can enjoy a night out or enjoy a music venue or that and I'm trying to get into that frame of mind so that everyone's included in this instead of just people in wheelchairs I'm, like that's a big thing that I'm trying to focus on I don't want to just be making um, the limelight go on wheelchair access I want to access to be a total umbrella term. How, how do you uh, do that? Do you, do you go along with a, fr a friend or something who is visually or, um, or deaf impaired? Um? Um, well, it's just kind of, once you kind of notice what can be done, like say, like Dublin Zoo is a wonderful example of somewhere that's like 100% accessible and they've taken all sorts of people into account. So they'd be great with um, kind of children with learning difficulties and then they have like braille at every um do you know the way there's kind of those information stands about like here's a siberian tiger and there'll be a total braille um sign there for them so that oh, they okay. can partake in that and um kind of hearing loops that like uh tills and registers and that like these are all the things that you need or um there's actually this organization in the uk called attitude is everything and they're about kind of making all music venues and events as accessible as possible for everyone and they have, in some music venues, had signers on stage so that like people can, um, un if you have a, like a hearing impairment, you can understand what the person on stage is talking about or singing. And then, yeah, the kind of subtitles and all that kind of thing that they're they're just trying to make it a thing, facilities that are available to people. Um, obviously, it'll be difficult to kind of get going initially, but once you do, um, like you're really you're just realizing that not everyone is the same and everyone has different needs yeah you you think that you're including everybody but there's still like more people out there that you could be helping yeah exactly and like people's circumstances change all the time as well so like another thing i try to get into is like disability isn't something that um it's not an exclusive club and it's not just people that were born with it um like maybelline but um like anyone could just like leave their house and get knocked down by a car and their whole life could be changed in an instant and like you 
like I think that is probably one of the hardest things when people do have these big accidents is suddenly they realize my life as I know it is now completely different and like imagine just everything that you loved or enjoyed doing before is just shut off to you so it's really important to for people and businesses to realize that they need to accommodate that like life life is really unpredictable and you you can't just shut off all fun and all socializing um, because you didn't consider the fact that someone has a disability. Uh, just before we kind of keep talking about that side of things, what is Dublin Zoo like? I've never been, so and I've heard. I think I've heard good things about it. Um, well, Dublin Zoo, I think, is probably like one of the best zoos in Europe. Anyway, for the animals, so that's important. Um, but just they've they've really kind of taken in consideration. Like you can. There's wheelchairs available to use to get around because it's a huge space, like it's massive. Um, but there's like huge, they've changing rooms um, across like Dublin Zoo. So that's like say, say if someone in a wheelchair has a personal assistant or a carer, like there's room for them both to go in and to do what they need to do. And then there's uh, kind of hearing loops available. There's different kind of uh, tour guides available for people with um, learning difficulties. And there's they've great kind of education set setups in there. So like schools can go in there and they will provide um, whatever the school needs for their students. Like it's just a really, it's kind of a very kind of personal one-to-one -one adaptive system that they have going on like it's not just a blue they don't follow like a strict blueprint and they really do look after whoever goes there it's a great place <laughs> yeah I, I, I really want to go sometime um so you you did another post a couple of weeks ago which was again like you know it was just like wow it's like really well written really um just really really good about uh talking about legless consultancy in the end and so before that you were just saying how um know you're tired of like not going out you know that you weren't going out as much do you want to talk a little bit about that um yeah um there'd be a lot of so again the kind of legless consultancy idea came from the fact that i was really tired of knowing that there would be a lot of music venues that i can't go to um and then as a result that means there's specific types of music that i don't get to see live in dublin anymore so there'd be one or two venues that aren't accessible to wheelchair users and they will always have like the best djs and the best hip-hop acts and that's like two of my favorite types of music so like um i don't know if i can name them anyway but uh, <laughs> but it's basically I was really tired of just like knowing as soon as like a gig announcement was made I would I wouldn't be able to go and that's crap to know something like six to eight months in advance that no you can't go and nothing can be done unless there was a huge change of venue somewhere else but that's never going to do because promoters stick with the same venues time and time again um, and then just there's a lot of venues as well that could be doing things to make themselves more open to people with disabilities but they weren't doing it and it's very hard to kind of get that across to people through like an info at blah.com email address or their twitter account um so i felt that because i have helped out with a couple of um, music festivals in the last year where kind of um i've helped them lay out kind of their accessible campsite a little bit better or what information they provide and i just kind of a light bulb went off above my head i was like i could probably work in this field totally because I'd be going to every music festival anyway and I'd go to probably like a gig a week and I take on board what is and isn't available and I see things 
because I'm in the situation that the people running it don't see. Um, so like, I really just want to offer my services and let people know what they should and shouldn't be doing, how their staff should uh, be, and um, if there's something that they should like, just tweak a little bit in their venue to make life a little bit easier for someone, for someone else. Uh, the staff, as in like, they could be helping more? Yeah, how they should help and if they're willing, like say if there's a step up into the venue, are they okay to kind of help you up into the step? Or just even kind of like what language to use. Like a lot of people, funnily enough, in the year like 2015, a lot of people still use wheelchair bound, which is just a horrible turn of phrase. Like you're a wheelchair user or you're someone in a wheelchair, you're not wheelchair bound. Um, just like a lot of language kind of just needs to be kind of, kind of eased out yeah. and, and like even the word like handicapped I hate when that word is used um, and people just don't get it like a lot of people are stuck in a very old-fashioned way of thinking when it comes to disability and it would be great if like a lot of I'm not saying that anyone any music venue in Dublin has done this now but um, it'd be great just if people could train their staff in a way so that they know what to do when someone in a wheelchair or someone with a disability arrives so that they're all not fussing or panicking and making the person with a disability feel like a hindrance yeah, yeah. Um, had you helped any music festivals this year, or is it just something that you're going to be doing into the future? Um, well, with Body and Soul this year, I was on to the organisers there, and they were just like, we want, because like, Body and Soul is a gorgeous festival, it's really nice, and it's quite small, and it's just a really, there's a lovely vibe and atmosphere there. Um, and the, the organisers, like Avril Stanley, the owner of Body and Soul, she's just like, it's always been on my mind about access at this festival. Um, because she knows that it's not perfect but she wants to use the space as best as they can and like that's just a wonderful thing for anyone to admit like to acknowledge that things aren't perfect is great because you're, it means that they're taking things into consideration so like when you're dealing with a music festival when it's uneven ground and like you're dealing with like rain and mud and that things aren't going to be easy for anyone with any sort of mobility impairment but um, body and soul just they want to make that experience as easy going for anyone with a disability and like that's just really remarkable and I was really I was so happy to work with them this summer and give them advice and give them my feedback from going to all festivals during my life and they took it on board and they um, they did a great job this year and it's something I think that they're going to keep on adding to like they're not just they're not just ticking the box they're not just saying this will do they're they're constantly trying to improve and i i think that's great and a lot of other festivals should um should definitely look at, at them as an example once it starts raining at a festival does it make things like 10 times worse like i mean in general it does yeah but like i mean for for you specifically you're like ah oh, jesus not you know what now yeah like mud is the worst thing to come across when you're in a wheelchair like it's just impossible like you can't get through um so like when when say a festival is coming up you're just kind of looking at the weather the whole time to see what way it is and trying to guess how the ground surface is going to be um like i was at caspalooza this year and that was a really rainy wintry winter um weekend it was horrible so cold but um they had laid out these um these kind of ooh, what's the word these kind of platform things like white uh, white planks kind of on the surface so that you weren't walking immediately onto mud and I kind of jokingly said one night on the way back to to my tent to one of the security men I was like oh you should really stretch all that um, stretch that path right up to the the door of my tent <laughs> and then the next day they did like they full on did it and they didn't have to like they 
like I just thought that was amazing because again Castle Blues is so small and Castle Blues is a great that's such a fun festival like it's absolutely like party central and um, it's small enough where they could actually deal with uh, a suggestion immediately and act on it like you wouldn't get that at, at bigger festivals where someone one person's comment uh, makes an impact immediately but they did and it kind of showed that, they're ca- that they cared and that they want to be the best that they can be so like like between yeah Casper's and Body and Soul just really um well, the weather for Body and Soul just seems to be glorious all the time. But yeah, Casper is a really rainy week- weekend, and they made it easier just by listening to a, a comment made by me when I was drunk at like six in the morning. So, <laughs> um, d- uh, did you go to Electric Picnic this year? Yeah, I was at Electric Picnic this year, and I stayed in a B and B instead of camping because I camped last year and the accessible campsite is the furthest campsite away from the main arena um, which meant that and because it was really rough ground and you have to go through the forest area um, so that meant that I couldn't go to my tent by myself at any point I'd always need a friend to come with me which just um, is pointless like it removes all sorts of independence and it's not accessible by any means so this year we stayed um, four of us stayed in a and b in a Thai so it was like 20 euro in a taxi each way which was all right and it just made life so much easier like it it was easier to get from a thai to electric pe- electric picnic than it was to get from their designated accessible campsite wow it was electric picnic um too big that was one of the complaints that i heard a lot yeah like yeah it was definitely too big this year and it was first time in my life that I've ever worried about the safety of children at a festival like there's just so many people I was like if a parent lets go of a child's hand that's it like it's gone like that was one of my main kind of things but um yeah it's kind of it's hard to know if it's because we're all getting older and we're a little bit more cranky when it comes to young people invading our festival space but there was a lot well yeah no I am getting older that's it we're all getting older and everyone's getting younger it's disgusting um but yeah it's just it's a changing market and I hate using those phrases when it comes to festivals because I'm always going to go to music festivals but um, I think just with the size of Electro Picnic this year I kind of feel like next year we're going to see a few more new festivals catering to people a bit older and I think like say the likes of like Homebeat and Happenings like they do amazing music events and they're all DIY events as well and they're smaller they're more intimate bigger focus on Irish acts as well which is great um, but also they're not they're not big branded events so they can they can actually listen to individuals feedback and make it a, a great uh, little festival so like I was at um, another love story by Homebeat um, that was in the month of August and that was just amazing like it was in this uh, gorgeous house called Kalyan Manor like an 18th century mansion I want to say and um, it was just lovely it was like maybe I think was it 500 people absolute maximum so it was just really easy going and everyone was just kind of ha- there to have a good time it was like a, it was like going to a 21st in your rich friend's house that was <laughs> what it was um, so I kind of think that's what a lot of Irish people are kind of hoping but a lot of music fans are quite interested in just those kind of smaller more intimate things that aren't as stressed out as the big commercial festivals are you kind of waiting for festivals to come to you about Legless in Dublin or are you kind of, you know, emailing them and just saying, you know, I'm here, you know, you should consider, you know, A and B sort of thing? 
Um, well, now is kind of like the time uh, that I'm going to start reaching out to them. Um, but I'm actually I'm taking part in a training day next Wednesday in London by that Attitude is Everything group that I told you about. Um, they they actually, Attitude is Everything, are heavily involved in Glastonbury Festival and they kind of look after the big kind of chains of music venues like the Academy and that. Um, where they just want to, it's like a training day for music venues and music festivals and I'm going over to kind of like steal all their ideas and come back and that's when I'm going to really properly get the ball rolling with Legless Consultancy um, because like it's a, I have a very unique perspective on music festivals because I'm in a wheelchair but also um, I'm a music fan as well so I'm not like I've I've got two things kind of going for me and I really I I think it's kind of a unique perspective that a lot of festivals should definitely take on board because what I say is going to help out so many other people and I know that sounds a big big big, big headed but um it's true <laughs> that all sounds great like hopefully hopefully they everybody listens just in terms of music in general, I know you're a big like pop fan, big Craig David fan. So I, one of the things I was thinking, what will I ask Louise on, on the podcast? I was like, oh, guilty pleasures. I wonder, like, do you believe in the idea of uh, of guilty pleasures? Absolutely not. Uh, I think, yeah, when you say it's guilty pleasure, it's something that you should be ashamed of. But like, that's not it at all. Like, um, like you can't spend your days just listening to like B sides from Radiohead albums like all the time. Like, that's just a our way to live um, now I think the idea of guilty pleasures is around is like all music uh, caters to very different needs in our brain and if you say that you you don't enjoy a cheesy pop song you're not indulging in that cheesy pop side of your brain like we need to tick all these sorts of boxes to keep our brain I don't know flowing in the right way um, so if you I always kind of say people don't enjoy pop music and people would very easily throw at that blanket term of like I hate pop music but like, if you're saying you hate pop music, you're saying you kind of hate the Beatles as well, or you're saying, or you're denying your childhood love of the Spice Girls or Backstreet Boys or whoever else. Um, yeah, no, I think everyone should just embrace things and stop. I think when people say it's a guilty pleasure, I think it's a way to tell someone else, "Oh no, but I'm I'm cool, really. I'm cool, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I'm, I'm I'm a cool guy." Um, uh, well, like the thing that I was thinking about was just. Uh, I just have this this predilection of uh, like indie guitar, landfill indie type stuff, and I'm like, how do I shake this? You know, I enjoy it. It's not that I enjoy listening to it, but it's just kind of like, I don't want to turn it off. You know, I'm kind of like, I'm okay with this. I mean, I guess it's just uh, when I grew up, like getting into Arctic Monkeys and stuff. But I think of that as like a guilty pleasure. I'm like, I'm not gonna tell anyone I love it, but like that's my idea of a guilty pleasure. Um. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, like I. Yeah, you love their um, their AM album, isn't it? Yeah, you're mad for that. <laughs> like, yeah, no, in a way, like we all have our like little things, but we, music kind of goes in such weird patterns. Like, so, I, I, like when we were like growing up, I think like like proper bubblegum pop was everywhere in the chart music, and we were so sick to death of it. And then there was like just a huge kind of R and B influx. Like that's when kind of Destiny's Child and all that became huge, and then R and B like was so huge from the early kind of noughties and then kind of garage became big again and then suddenly we were just like drowning with guitar bands like every band came with like the it's like the strokes the vines like everyone and we were bludgeoned to death with guitar rock and um and then like we what happens i think with music is we were given too much of one thing 
at once and we all just become sick of it and we need a quick changeover. So that's why it's important to just like all types of music because you can't just be listening to one type always because God, you'd be so boring to listen to. <laughs> That's true. Um, it's getting quite loud in here. Uh, oh, is it? Oh, okay. Um, just uh, one thing I wanted to talk about. It was just a question that came up that came up in my head during the the web summit today. Um, they were just talking about live music and how uh, you can take away the experience of going to a gig and you know like being with your friends and all of that. And like obviously, as a big live music fan yourself, I just wanted your perspective on this in terms of. Um, like live streaming, how, how like Pitch, Pitchfork Paris was on last week and they were doing constant um, live streams of, of all of the band, pretty much all of the bands who were playing and stuff. And, you know, you can watch so many live performances on YouTube. Um, I don't really, but I, I just think people probably are happy just to see like a good band that they really like, you know, and just have like the BBC feed of, say, Arctic Monkeys at um, Glastonbury sort of thing, you know? I mean... Is are live streams or just like videos of uh, live performances on YouTube something you enjoy, or or what do you think? Um, well, I've watched like live streams of Coachella and Glastonbury, and it just feels so lifeless. Um, because you're not part like the whole experience of li like you could just listen to the CD. Like why why would you stream something and not be part of a crowd and hear like because they never really kind of fixate on the crowd when they're doing the live streams so like you can hear all these people having the times of their lives like in the distance and then it's like a close-up of like Alex Turner like tuning his guitar like that's that's not what you go for you're not really like the, I f always feel like those live streams kind of highlight how detached the musician is from the overall experience do you ever notice that where you're just like oh they don't seem like they're having as much fun as the crowd are that's quite sad i guess they're probably just going through the mo i mean see this is the thing about live gigs you want to feel like you're seeing something special but ultimately you're seeing like the 17th date on their 90 day tour or something like that yeah like i think the best thing about live music is the fact that it can so it's so loud like when you're at a gig like your tv can only, only go up to a certain level or your lap your laptop can only go up to a certain level and that's not very loud but um going to a live th live gig is just being surrounded by people and like screaming the lyrics at the top of your lungs or just like really feeling like i love it when you can feel um kind of like the bass thump in your chest like i just think that's great um, and then kind of dissecting the gig afterwards, like standing out in the street afterwards in the middle, like, oh, that was amazing, or you know, or that endless debate of like, will we go for a pint or will we go for the last bus home? But when you're streaming at home, you're just like, you know, sitting in your bed, like in the dark, uh, watching thousands of people have fun across the other side of the world. Yeah. Um, so um, I didn't invest in any. Um uh, these live streaming sites that were probably at Web Summit. I don't think that I will either. Yeah, it's just like go to a gig. Like, like I've never enjoyed watching a gig on television ever. Like, I know when we were growing up, we used, we had like um, we had videos at home of like Meatloaf live and Prince and uh, not Prince, uh, Queen Queen live, and it's just like why why, why do you want to watch the, all these other people having fun? Like just. Go out and buy, spend 15 euro and go to a gig and have a great night out with your friends. That's a, a good way of putting it. You've sold me on the live performance. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, I guess, legless in Dublin.com. 
uh, at Lubarachi on Twitter and uh, really enjoyed talking to you. Oh no, that was good, yeah, we got we got a lot covered, so. Vented a little bit. Yeah, venting, it was therapeutic, and <laughs> ask the person beside you if they're okay. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Louise. So that was Louise Bruton talking to me in a rather noisy Dublin pub last Thursday, November the 5th, uh, just so that you know that, uh, after I'd attended three days of the Web Summit. It's a weird event. I still don't think I fully processed it. I certainly felt a little out of my comfort zone, surrounded by techies and quote-unquote entrepreneurs hawking startups with taglines like the Instagram of slow motion video and the Facebook for pets. There was also another one that involved an app that analyzes your pee on a night out. I did not ask how it works. Most of my time is taken up by the talks that were held across each day, mostly sports on Tuesday, media, publishing, content, social and sharing on Wednesday. Stephen Hills of the Washington Post discussing innovation and the future of news is probably the best talk of the week, while Thursday was the music summit. Uh, All the talks across the three days were 20 minutes long and it seemed like everything had been discussed beforehand. It felt like TED Talks times 10. No breaks between each panel and basically like the web summit was going, look at all the names we got. The co-founder of Pitchfork, Chris Kasky, was there, but he was just interviewing some journalists on a panel called Making Music Media Matter. Uh, I think there was one actual music maker or artist, for want of a better word, on the 11 panels that made up the music summit. And that was Steve Angelo of Swedish House Mafia and owner of Size Records. I'm as surprised as you are that I found him so engaging considering the music he makes. Uh, He discussed things like the idea of an album launch. What even is an album launch in 2015? Spoke about making videos for all his songs, partnering with companies for them, splitting the album into two chapters and releasing them six months or so apart. Uh, I can release records however I want nowadays, he said, adding the caveat, you can't just give the fans shit. Did I mention he's from Swedish House Mafia? Three words kept coming up across the web summit. Monetization, disruption, and unicorns. I think the latter idea is about the golden goose, the tech idea that's the next Uber, the $50 billion company. Disruption and monetization, I could go the rest of my life without hearing those terms again, and I'd be happy. I'd also be happy not hearing unicorns again, uh, magical or otherwise. Other names on the music summit included Bruce Floor, who signed Foo Fighters. He's a manager and discussed his role nowadays, which includes helping his artists craft stories. Because as Angelo alluded to, it's not enough just to make the music nowadays. You have to have a plan. You have to engage whether you want to or not. So Floor pointed to Foo Fighters' last album, Sonic Highways, which Dave Grohl went to various cities for new inspiration. It's a cute idea, though it struck me as someone lacking in ideas overall. And even a fleeting listen to the album would confirm as much, I think, anyway. Uh, Floor said not every band should be a brand, what a hideous idea. And that new fans are better than old fans, though we didn't really elaborate on why. Other talks were titled things like The Digital Divide, Are Artists Missing Out? A record label still relevant? The digital agency. Does the industry put fans first 
and moving beyond the artists. There was a lot of crossover, as you might expect, so much so, however, that it seemed like we were watching the exact same talk, but with different participants. Adele and Drake were thrown out constantly as examples of Music Biz 2K15, that they're the ones doing it right, as if anybody needed to be told that Adele and Drake are doing the good things nowadays. The crowd petered out over the course of the morning and early afternoon on the Thursday, and it was uh, noticeably less crowded at the Web Summit uh, across all of the, the venues that day. And I wonder who exactly the Music Summit and the event overall was aimed at. I wandered out of the RDS on Budva Days, mostly because I didn't want to spend 20 quid on a burger, but also because there was so much noise, a constant buzz and murmur from the main area where the startups were positioned, soundtracked all the talks, and it felt like people were all just so desperate to be noticed. So ultimately, I think I left Web Summit having heard a lot of stuff, but not really learning anything new. Hopefully, you learned something new from listening to the podcast and hearing the illuminating and hilarious Louise Bruton. I'll be back with another episode of The Point of Everything next week. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, so you won't miss the next one or the one after that or the one after that. And then we'll be in 2016, and who knows how the music business will look then. Anyway, thanks for listening and chat to you next week. I've been Ono Sullivan. (laughs) 